0: The following is brought to you by the Starfleet Podcast Network, SPN, The Spin. I digress. I. If you get me out in the weeds, there's no coming back, basically. <laughs> uh, oh, so here's one for you then, mm-hmm. just to pull us back from the brink with
1: Big J. Uh,
0: <laughs> a red alert. I'm Big J with Beyond Trek Podcast. So welcome all, I am talking to Bill Krause, and I was looking at your Facebook page just to kind of get a, a sense of all the things that you do. and it looks like it's a lot. But the big thing is is you you design starships. And it looks like there's a lot of posters, uh, computer graphic, animations. Uh, before I get to where I misquote or misspeak on something that you, do or work on, could you tell us a little more about
2: yourself and about your work that you do with Star Trek? Sure. I'll try to sum sum it up as best as I can. Um, I am uh, right now retired from my professional job, which was as a uh, a videographer, editor um, of a a video production company. I owned my own company in Cleveland for almost 40 years. And uh, my model making and Starship design had been my hobby for, for many years, but I only recently got into the hobby or back into it uh, about uh, eight or nine years ago and uh, started to uh, just post things on, on social media of things i I'm working on. And eventually got noticed by uh, Doug Drexler and other people within the Star Trek community to, uh, and asked to, to contribute to uh, like the ship to the line calendar and uh things like that. And, and people actually didn't commission me to build the models of, of custom projects that I would be working on or design. And eventually uh, through that, uh, got noticed through uh, my friend uh, John Eaves, who had asked me to put together a portfolio of some of my work uh, for, for, for Picard season one. And that didn't happen. And then season two rolled around and they thought, well, we can use Bill Krauss to design some or build some models. And that kind of steamrolled into season three and uh design ships that you saw on picard including the uh, the titan which becomes enterprise g as well as the intrepid and that's where we are that is amazing
0: it had to have been i can't imagine how it would have felt to get that call that you're going to be working on star trek picard season two and three with the starship designs and i've got to tell you those were some good designs in that series um, those couple episodes. Now, did you have a lot to do with in in season two, we saw a lot of different ships, different classes of ships, ones that were uh, had the like a a design lineage from example, the Excelsior class, and it was modernized to the 25th century. And so were some others. Now, did you have a hand in designing those ships that were seen on screen like that trying to come up with a, a connection between the old look and
2: the new one now for season two that was still uh john eaves and uh, dave Blassett, the production designer and and uh, doug drexler working on those ships and i was only brought in uh late in that that production to actually build the gold-plated ready room models of the three stargazers uh, at that point, they asked me to uh, design a, a third predecessor to the original uh, TNG uh, Stargazer, which is my only contribution design-wise to that show. And it's only briefly seen in, in one episode for like a second in the dark from being, you know, 50, 50 feet away behind Jerry Ryan's head. And it's gone like that. But you can see, just sort of briefly, uh, the Radiant Class 2S version Stargazer. Uh, when th- season three rolled around... Uh, again, they asked me to build models, but not till later, uh, Terry metals the showrunner had really liked my Shangri-La, uh, which was a, a custom design ship I had built eight years ago. Just as my first kind of entry back into the hobby, I just kind of kit bashed this ship. It was kind of a motion picture era ship and he, he wanted to buy that model and I had sold it to another friend. So I was in the process of building another ship for himself. just as a, his own display model. It's between seasons two and three, and then uh, one day I, I get an email from Dave Blast saying, "I hear you're working on this model for Terry. Uh, can you can we see it mocked up with uh, Picard era engines?" And I happen to have a couple of extra engines from season two of the Stargazer, so I kind of photoshopped those in place on my Stargate or my on my Shangri La. And then that next day, I get an email from Dave saying, "We're good to go on it," uh, and I had no idea what that meant.
1: But, uh, <laughs> the, the what does
2: that mean? What's this mean? And, and Terry had hinted that he would—he liked the Shangri-La enough that he wanted to put it in the show. And I, I, I didn't really know what that meant. I felt, I just kind of assumed it was going to be like a, a prop, like behind somebody in the background. Right. Something on the shelf or on the wall. Right. Eventually it was, but he really wanted it to be the hero ship. And uh, I found out that, you know, that Sunday that it was the hero ship. And they wanted all the assets immediately uh, to start uh, getting that into production. And they asked for the 3D file of this model, which didn't exist. It was scratch built. I built this by hand eight years ago. I was using the same old molds to build him another one. There were no 3D files of it anywhere. So uh, Doug actually had to uh, come in and, and rebuild the model uh, from photographs that I had sent to him. Because uh, I had to leave that Monday to go work on another film. And they gave Doug a week to uh, rebuild this model from, from photographs. And there was no second go around that was like, Go. So off it went to production and there was no second pass. There was no revision. It was like, this is gone. This is a win. So I was shocked that was, you know, we didn't ever have a chance to kind of fine tune it and modify it or anything like that. But it was just uh, they needed and I think uh, Terry liked what he saw and, and had a vision for what that ship should have looked like. So he was happy with what with what I produced for him when, now, I, when we did the Intrepid. OK later on uh which i think you see it in one episode uh in season or episode five of season three uh Atari again saw another so model they i had working on and he and i just worked on this model back and forth uh via via texting i think it was on instagram i said what do you think of this you like that I'm like what do you think of that so we just kind of kibitzed on this for a while we spent more time on that ship than we did it all on the titan but that was a really fun process to actually be kind of working you know, knowing that this was going to be a ship on a show, uh, and working with the, the executive producer, you know, and nobody else involved, just him and I, I just, you know, working on the design. So it was kind of fun.
0: I want to talk about the Titan real quick because you mentioned that a couple of times and I'm thinking that there may be some others in the fandom that are, that might have the same question. I know I've talked about it with some other fans in that, so, the first time we saw the Titan was in Star Trek Lower Decks. Uh, it was roughly the same design that was used on the cover of the Titan novels. So, it more or less was, was the same. Now, that ship went from that. They called it a refit, which was radically different for the Titan A, to uh, were you and were you part of it? Could you kind of explain to us, if you can, why there was such a difference between the two? Was it something that you were you were tasked with designing a ship that was going to be renamed the Enterprise G? Did you know that ahead of time? And was that kind of the direction you were you were put in?
2: No, it was really uh, Terry saw the Shangri-La and watered that ship for the show. I had no idea it was to be a Titan or a predecessor or a successor of the Titan or that it would be the enterprise. Yeah, I had no idea of any of that, that was all uh, pre-approved and uh, selected by Terry. And uh, in fact, I didn't even know it was going to be called the Titan until like a month later. And uh, their flags were raised then like, we're like Dave and Doug and I were like Titan, is not the same ship that was Rikers. And like, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't ask any questions. They just want to go with it. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, we had no say whatsoever in, the evolution of it from a previous Titan, the naming of the ship, or anything. It was just like, we like the ship, for what it looks like. We're calling it Titan, and we're going with it. No discussion. Okay, that was... So I wasn't involved in any of that. Uh, I was then giving them the ship, and then they went with it. So uh, it was the end of my involvement at that point. We did go back and rewrote some of the the backstory uh, after the show had been, I think, uh, I think was either... In trailer form, or even premiere, we had to kind of answer some fan questions, like you're asking here. So to go back and backpedal, so all right, where did the ship come from, and why does it fit into this? Like, so we were basically just kind of like reverse engineering why it's there and why it's named the Titan, um, and that's that's that story. So, so I don't have a, a definitive answer of how it got how it evolved, but there wasn't any of that. There was nothing that led that was like this is what we want we're going to make it fit. And that's, that's where we're going. Yeah. Now, how does that,
0: how does that feel to see this ship on screen and have it be the main ship of that entire season? And not yes, only that, but I just, I, I'm, I'm speechless. I, I cannot imagine sitting there watching the show and seeing it's not just a in the background, it's not something in the background, it's not over someone's right shoulder on the wall. It is the ship that is is on the on the entire thing, you know, and that's tell me what that feels like. Yeah. It's hey, Renzo, how you doing? Hey, Bill, Renzo, Renzo, Bill. Renzo is one of our Hi, Renzo. co-hosts on Beyond Trek podcast. We were just talking about the uh, Titan A, which would become the Enterprise G and just Bill's feelings on, on seeing that on screen because it was a hero ship, not just something in the background. Uh, so I'm sorry, Bill, if you could go ahead and restart on that, uh, that answer.
2: Right, it was just kind of an unreal feeling to know that uh, they kind of deep dive into the fandom uh, community and pick the ship that had been really out there for a couple of years and, and kind of well-known if you were in the model, uh, world of Star Trek and to pick something that has been already established, um, and to use as the hero ship. It's like, there was no evolution or a, you know, a structure design for a specific ship was something that Terry saw. He liked it. He picked it out. Trey picked it out and said, let's use this ship. And I was just, and immensely honored to be even considered and asked to contribute. Then further asked to, to design other ships and then to build them for the for the uh, as screen props you see behind the shoulder. So those gold plated titans behind them in the radio room, I built those. So again, doubly cool to see your ship flying around in visual effects and then, then see it on the wall as a physical gold plated model. I mean, that's beyond cool. <laughs>
0: So if we get Star Trek Legacy, which is the show that the fans, everyone is really hoping for spin off to Picard, your ship is going to be the main ship of that series. So really, you've cemented yourself in that if it, yeah, if it becomes a show. So you've pretty much cemented yourself in canon of Star Trek with your work.
2: Yeah, I think uh, the, the legacy thing is really just uh, um, something that that either, either Terry or the fans have just made up. Yes. It doesn't exist officially in any form. It's just kind of like, this would be great if this if this happened. The fans kind of you know, threw a, a name and logo on it, but it doesn't really exist. And I don't know if that'll ever happen, but I'd be thrilled if it does. But uh, I think if Terry does another show, if he's given the keys, it may be like a, an anthology kind of series where you're we see a ship or a crew like for an episode or two and it's not tied to another ship and crew from another era, but some other inter intero. I know for a fact that he loves the motion picture era. And, uh, if we do see something from Terry, it, it might take place, you know, in the Kirk and Spock motion picture, late twenty two eighties, twenty two nineties sort of thing. And that'd be pretty cool.
0: So we'll get the pajamas, the pajamas the muscle maroons. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, good. good. So the wrath of Khan era and, uh, and forward. Right. excellent.
1: Well, so I actually, long story short, my partner was at a convention where you were signing, uh, prints of your works and he bought oh, yeah? a few of them for my birthday. They made an excellent gift. So thanks for that. But from you're that, okay. I asked him to ask you a couple of questions while you there, while you guys were talking. Um, and I wanted to now ask one of those questions to you myself, because he said that you didn't really have anything to say about it at the time. Right. Um, I was asking since you seem to have like a huge penchant for designing ships in the TMP era are there any gaps in the design lineages that you really just want to fill out yourself like what was the Excelsior before the Excelsior or what was like the prototypical like Nebula before it was a Nebula was it the Miranda that led to the Nebula like are there any designs in that era that you just really want to like flesh out for yourself because that's what you did with the Stargazer's Radiant class
2: Yeah I, I like to live in that the errors of the between the, the motion or the original series and the motion picture, and then that's sort of like where I've been stuck for a while because I I have a lot of ships that I wanted to kind of design whether they were the frigates or scouts and destroyers and and heavy cruisers, medium cruisers, light cruisers, the whole gamut of ships, and uh, I think I've kind of done enough in that era. And there's other errors, like there's the errors between the motion picture and TNG, there like the Enterprise B and C era. Sure. era there's like 75 years of ships that could be, you know, designed. So, and even before that, even like the ships before Pike, between the, the NX-01 and the 1701, there was another 75 years or more even there. So lots of lots of room to, to grow and, and play with. And to be in the now in the, the 24th century or even 25th century, it was just very odd because it's like, Whoa, what, what am I doing here? <laughs> You're using my ship's motion picture. And we've kind of, them month a little bit. They're now living in the world of the you know, the late twenty fourth, early twenty-fifth, but they're not quite what I would have imagined them to be, but that's where they are. So lots sure. of lots of playing room.
1: Yeah, I mean, is there any, any era then of either the lost era between TNG or before TNG and like Undiscovered a Country or anywhere around there? Is there anything that you're trying to work on now, anything that we should be excited for? I'm a huge ship nerd, so personally I love finding your posts on it, twitter and such and like digging into them and reading up on history that people make up for them
2: well the uh, the intrepid that you saw in uh in picard season three that was based on my wasp which was a motion picture era uh what i call an interceptor it had their long stinger tail which was based on another ship uh designed back in the 1980s it was a fan produced uh, blueprint called the hornet class by larry miller and when i saw that way back uh they went way back like nine years ago i built my version of it called the Wasp and the Shangri-La together. And both those ships you see in Picard head to head as a Titan and Intrepid. Uh, but I am working on a a TOS version, kind of filling the gap again, going backwards from Picard motion picture to a a TOS version called the Tornado was actually something I've been working on when Terry saw it and said, Hey, can you make this into a Picard airship? So now it leaps forward another, century to become the intrepid um at, at that time i had, had been calling it the chaparral and that name kind of stuck with the the intrepid throughout the uh production at uh, at, at paramount and eventually it became known as the deuter class but originally it was the chaparral which is what i had assigned it and it was back and forth between that and a couple other names and uh but uh, so I renamed my Tos version the tornado. So you'll be seeing that coming out probably later this year, I have a client who is a, actually commissioning me to flesh that out a little bit more further, a little, bit more, a little bit more further. So that will be seen as a pretty large scale, fully lit display model.
1: You're making it physically too. Oh wow. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I remember the wasp class. I'm I also like love the FASA era designs, and I remember that there was an Akiazi class destroyer that this is very closely related to. Uh, but yeah, there's which a was lot actually of... a
2: that's a Master data uh, ship. People think it's from FASA, but it, oh, is it uh, okay? If you but, saw? Oh, it, I forgot still the FASA
1: era at least.
2: Yeah, late '80s, mm-hmm. uh, mid '90s. Yeah, I had some of those yeah. FASA ships.
0: Not not the one you're you're talking about, but. I want to ask you a little more about that, about that ship is the first impression that I got when I saw that is it felt like this is not very Starfleet-ish. It just, it had such a, I guess, a kind of a design departure, not so much a departure, but it was not quite what I expected seeing a Starfleet ship. So, and you designed this, the the original, I guess, foundation of it for the motion picture uh, motion picture era of ships. So going back to that, there weren't really a lot of Starfleet ships shown on screen. There was a constitution class. And if you're talking about doing this before uh, Wrath of Khan, you have the refit constitution and that was it. So Mm -hmm. seeing that we had Basically, you've only seen uh, uh, one ship in its refit version. What took you in that direction to to design it to look like look like a wasp?
2: Well, I think, like you say, you, you never really saw very many ships of that era. You only saw the Enterprise, and then eventually the Reliant, and then again uh, maybe the Excelsior and the Grissom, and they all have slightly different looks. Uh, I just wanted to kind of fill out that that aesthetic with ships that don't all look exactly the same. We're reusing the same components over and over again. In fact, even the Reliant is just a rehash of Enterprise components. And uh, I wanted to see something to really stretch that envelope and see different things. And of course, the, what the Wasp itself is based on, like I said, the fan design by Larry Miller. And so I, I basically just kind of redid it design and my take with it because I, I thought it was an unusual design and it looked very cool. And I just wanted to build it for fun. And uh, didn't really think much about it until you know, Terry saw it. And I think he saw that design as something that looks menacing. It looks like an insect, uh, something that's, you know, looks dangerous. Uh, it did. And, and that I, I nacelle that cell was
0: on fire and it was just kind of slowly coming
2: up above the Titan. Yeah, yeah looked pretty menacing. I
1: work there for sure.
2: The design itself, I think, is fairly basic. I mean, I, I've always looked at it like it's a the Federation ship and people like look at it and go, Oh my God, it's so different. I go like where, I mean, I it's got the stinger that comes down with a pod that's very similar to most secondary hulls. Uh, it doesn't go back. Like the standard enterprise does or other refits, but it's got the same round saucers got two pylons. It's got two engines. It's got the bridge looks just like every other starship, except it's got a, a pod spin below every heavy duty pylon. Um, why that is offensive to some people uh, i don't know why but uh it's just it's another federation ship and in fact if you see uh, i think a uh, stranger worlds they have a ship that looks very similar to the configuration of of the wasp and trap it too so um it's just another design
1: no bill i agree with you especially if you look at the the post that you put up about the tornado the wasp the chaparral, etc you can really see the, like a design history for that and it makes sense starting with the tornado in particular, you can really see how, oh, it's really just like the front half of an engineering section turned into a pod and it's just a little underslung. I think that it looks incredibly Starfleet. I, I don't understand the objections to it generally. I think that all of this lineage is a pretty beautiful design. In particular, I think that the uh, Enterprise era reconnaissance ship is perfect for its era too. I think that looks beautiful.
2: So. Yeah, I mean really, the, the pod and the, the- the the stinger it's really a, a jet engine. Mm-hmm. If you ever looked at looked out the, out the out of your a window of an airplane and saw the, the, the jet engine spinning below the wing with the the wing the, the pylon, that's the pod. That's basically just a jet engine hanging off uh, off the wing. It's uh, the same kind of thing. Um, I just made it into a much larger uh, jet engine, <laughs> but yep. that was the, the, the essential uh, inspiration for it originally
1: yeah I, i'm a big fan of them generally i think that taking some steps to vary starfleet's designs makes sense like when we first saw the akira era like ships the norway akira saber steamrunner, all those were very novel designs we'd seen nothing like them from starfleet before right some people mm-hmm. drew some comparisons between the steamrunner and the miranda but even that's pretty bunk but generally they were just a departure from what we'd seen and now we've seen those designs for the last 20 20 years or so and they're pretty down pat. We've seen many variations on them. Games design variations around them, too. It just takes time for you know Trekkies to accept that sometimes change is necessary. You know, you've know, you seen this over the years, for sure.
2: Oh, for sure. Um, even the, the Shangri-La itself, when that first came out, when I designed that, people didn't like the cutouts on the, the primary hull. And that took a long time for people to kind of get used to seeing that. I eventually filled that in a little bit more. Uh, in fact, when I did that for, uh, for Terry, it, when I built his model the shangri-la actually took another step from my original shangri-la and made improvements on it um for his model which then became part of the titan uh via you know that process so um just to kind of change up the primary hull and the 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 silhouette and shape of the hull i think on the shangri-la two it had a cutout even in the front where i had a triple bow mounted photon uh array they did not use that for the titan but uh the, uh, the winglets are there, uh, the very big extended kind of impulse deck, all uh, very much similar to what was on the Shangri-La. Have and you? The secondary hall, which is, oh, sorry, I thought was I was going to say mean. real quickly. Go ahead. The secondary hall, which is really just sculpture. I, when, I, when I built the Shangri-La, I actually just sculpted uh, urethane foam and just shaped it by hand and molded it out of resin as well as with the uh, the, the dorsal. So it was all, to me, very much sculpture at the time, looking for things that just looked cool from every angle. Um, but it gets kind of another take on an excelsior or refit kind of all. That's basically it. So here's a question
1: about your process, I guess. Do you find yourself mostly doing your design work on paper first, then you draw things out, then you translate it to digital formats, and then you make a physical version? Or like you just said, did you like just get struck with inspiration and carve it? By hand out of material. Like, what's more typical for you?
2: Yeah, I would start with a sketch. And back then, when I was doing the Shangri-La, I I didn't have a digital process yet. That was still pretty, I don't think 3D printers even existed then, but um, I was kind of doing an old school where I was actually carving a master out of foam and going to a hard, like, or silicone mold and then casting a resin part out of it. Now I I would do it. Possibly for smaller parts, but it's more of a process where I'm sketching, going into a digital 3D model of it, and then it gets 3D printed. Um, I kind of I lose that tactile feeling of shaping things with your hands. Uh, you're now doing it with a mouse and a you know, your keypad, and it's, it doesn't feel as organic that way, but uh, you, you can kind of get there. But once you get the, the 3D print, finished part, you have some more room to kind of fine-tune it a little bit by hand, if you wanted to. I enjoy I think I enjoy that more. But I think the bodywork is my favorite part of the model building process. Is really see it kind of all flowing together and uh, making it feel like it, you know, like I want a cohesive kind of ship rather than just separate components. that so just glued it together. Do you find
0: yourself with the 3D printing part that you're you're doing more revisions than what you did. Obviously, you're probably able to do more more revisions of your design work, but has that become, I guess, a a burden, a set setting yourself back because now you have the ability to keep doing these revisions over and over, uh, which is in direct contrast to what you're about earlier. That there was there was one chance, one shot of designing this ship and getting it out there was no second pass.
1: Yeah. Like, do you mm-hmm. fall into the trap of perfection? Like I've got to get it perfect and keep adjusting forever rather than settling for good or good enough.
2: I, I do settle for what I think needs to get done in the time frame that I've given myself to build on. So i I've got so many ideas that I know I, I can spend forever just on one idea, but there's so many of them that I, I just save them for the next project. So I get to a point where I think it's, it's met most of my goals uh, design wise. And then I just, get in production i just have to build it because it's really the goal for me is to see it physically in front of me whether i like it 100 or not it's just i need to get it out there and there's something that i don't like about it i may tweak that a little later on while it's in production but as you're designing it you kind of kind of get you know the bases covered and then work you know worry about sweating the details a little later but there's so many ideas that i have that i just kind of I will save every iteration of a model as I'm working digitally, because you can save a version and so, well, maybe I'll try something different, but make a copy of it, make that change on that model. So I end up with like probably 50 variations of, you know, a concept. And I may go back to revisit some of those concepts and then evolve that into another model. So nothing's gone to waste. I always try to save everything that I can, but you can't run into the problem where you've got, gosh, I can do this and this and this and this and this, and they get to kind of draw the line and say, okay, we need to get this thing done you know in a timely fashion so you put, you put limits on yourself to what you what you can do and um try to get done for sure
1: no i totally can relate to the concept of having to get something out of your brain just because it's been stuck there right and trying to get it working this is a, a bit of a story but i'll tell it i am a child of aol that was what i spent a lot of my childhood on and there were a ton of aol forums and boards where people would post their custom ship designs right i fell in love with the art of one particular artist his name was alpha jack i have no idea what's happened to the guy but he'd put out these awesome designs in the like Mm -hmm. tng era and all of his works as far as i can tell are lost to the times of the internet can't find them anywhere i had printouts Uh. of them from that era uh but that book got lost in a move kind of thing oh. uh but for like the last seven or eight years now i've had like the damn it was it victorious or glorious or fear it was something yes and it was cool but i remember what the design was and i remember th- what the ship's purpose was because he would tell stories as the ship was being constructed and the whole thing it's bothered me for so long at this point that like three months ago i found uh, an artist commissioned them to be like i'm just gonna word vomit this out at you and we're just going to try and make this work. So at least it exists again, because it's been bugging me in my head that this was this cool design that I want back out there. Right. Mm-hmm. So I totally understand the whole, like, I've just got to get it out because it's bothering me that I can't get it out.
2: Right. Yeah. I will save, like, I'll go through the internet, uh, and the things that inspire me, whether it's other shipbuilders or, uh, cars or airplanes or any kind of vehicle i just save this reference stuff and, and folders and, uh, just as fodder, you know, to uh, you try to absorb it all. And like you're hoping by some kind of osmosis that it just soaks into your brain, you can just spread it back out as, you know, what you're, what you're hoping. Uh, it's all kind of like a sum of all these things.
1: Yeah. Uh, I was 10 or yeah. 11 years old at most. I can't, I don't have like a saved file. Like I didn't save images at the time. I just printed them out thinking that, you know, yeah. I'll keep the paper and I won't lose the binder that I kept the, nope, that binder's gone. So, yeah. yeah, there was this really cool story about this ship being assembled at the Titan uh, Titan Yards because Utopia Punisha was overburdened with war, with war building for the Dominion War. This was during, like, Deep Space Nine's fourth or fifth season. This ship was meant to, to serve as, like, a landing helicopter equivalent, like a LHD equivalent. So it had, mm-hmm. like, well areas for landing crafts to settle on a planet that could be reapers as mobile field hospitals or mobile barracks, that kind of thing. Just drop them off and the ship moves on kind of thing that's the whole design it had this cool like nebula ish design and i've got the whole thing and works to recreate it so i'm i'm excited for it to be done so i can like show the internet this thing that's been lost for the last 20 years that i thought was
0: really awesome there's going to be some kind of expedition dig somewhere far in the future and that book will be found that you lost it will be somewhere in some kind of archaeological project or something like that I can only hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Bill, has there been... I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no
1: no no I was just going to add one last little detail that I remember about it he talked about how when you were bringing together the two halves of the saucer the, the skeleton for it they're like brought down it's being pushed by work bees so he called it the dance of the work bees in its little description and that little phrase is stuck with me it's like little cool world building aspects that people come up with when they talk about these designs that they've made uh, I just wish we as a community preserve them all better right because mm. I failed at that so I'm <laughs> hoping we as a group can get better
2: I think they are has there at least i try good
0: bill has there been any design that you worked on finished, did it's it's out there that you that still bothers you that i wish i would have done this or i wish i could do this but i cannot go back and change it because it's it's locked in like for example the the titan a which became the enterprise g that Mm -hmm. unless there's something written in canon and the story that it had to change some kind of look or design that's it that's in there and anything in your head is just like well i wish i could have done this one thing but it's possible that i never will be able to will be able to is there anything like that with any of your designs that were used that were published that kind of keeps you awake a little bit like i I wish i could fix this or i would have done this one
2: part differently Mm hmm uh, not anymore. I think, uh, because I've, I recycle so many ideas into the next ship that I, I kind of work those Jones out, you know, if I, if I feel like I didn't quite finish a ship to my satisfaction, the next one, I will do that or make that kind of change into the next one in some way. So I always feel like I'm working those things out one ship at a time. Um, things I look back on in the past, like they're out there and, you know, I, I just have to be happy and satisfied with them. And, and not dwell on them but i, I did have a, a concept designs for the the, the titan headache had we given more time to develop it and i sketched out a bunch of things thinking that we would have you know more of a you know a collaboration with ideas and and of course that never happened but uh, with the titan if when they, when they when they asked that for that ship to be kind of you know when i found out it was going to be a 21st century ship or even 25th century ship, I had some great uh, outrageous ideas of making it very streamlined. Um, and now realizing that they re- really wanted to keep that, the you know, motion picture aesthetic. And uh, of course, when Doug built it, he used an existing uh, refit primary hall, which is what I used in the Shangri-La. But I thought, well, we, can't we change that a little bit? I mean, sure, it's a saucer, but can we just change <laughs> the profile just a little bit so it doesn't look obviously like we've taken the refit hull, which we did. Um, but little things like that could have easily made that ship feel more period rather than looking, you know, like it does. But, and I had sketched out some very easy ideas. I thought of just kind of streamlining, streamlining the, uh, the, uh, the impulse engines, which I thought were very, very boxy. And the, the Titan, I thought, well, we can really just, you know, just rounded them off, streamlined them, you know, done a whole bunch of things. And, uh, so I was sketching out all, all sorts all sorts of ideas in my Hotel room when I was in Denver, uh, while Doug was working on it, I'm thinking, okay, we're gonna, here's, here's my first round pass, there's my second round pass, and I'm like, no, we're good to go. And I'm like, oh, so I just kind of shuffle them back into a file further, and there they sit. So I don't know if I'll ever, I'll ever build a version of it, uh that, uh, that I've sketched out, but I had prior to Picard season three, I had worked on uh, designs for a Shangri La that might have existed. In the, in the enterprise C era, so those were already on. Was already on the, the, the drawing board for a future project before uh, Picard came along. So I may still do that. Um, it, it may it may disrupt the, the Shangri La to Titan uh, history legacy uh, because it's a ship that I'm inserting between those two. But uh, hey, it's my can I can work what I want, right?
1: Absolutely. Right, and based on what you were saying, it really does sound like Doug Drexler, Dave Blass, and Terry Modeless are all, like, big fans of that TMP-era design language, and I think that they really spoke through the character of Jack Crusher in Season 3 as well. There's that, like, scene where they're admiring the ships at the Fleet Museum, and he goes, I'm Mm -hmm. a constitution man myself, that thing. Right. So, yeah, there's definitely some self-insert there. Um, I did have a question for you about how you design certain practical functions of a ship, Right. Mm-hmm. So when you're talking about 24th century designs galaxy and such you've got those big wide phaser strips that cover the top and bottom of the saucer kind of thing right you tend to work more in the TMP era where they've got those ball uh, turrets right mm-hmm. do you like plan out where you're placing those in advance or do you just do that as like more of towards an afterthought just to make sure you get your 360 coverage kind of thing
2: Yeah those are uh, you talk about turrets uh, in a ship when you're working in 3D you can spin that model and, and every axis you can see a line of sight from phaser emplacements where you think the blind spots are and make sure you've got enough coverage um, and kind of just drop them in where you think they, they should go but there's always a big blind spot along both sides of the nacelles and there's no way you can avoid that unless you put phasers on the outside upward sides of the nacelles and no one's ever done that and i think it looks silly but you can't cover the ship 360 but you can get pretty close uh and i think in every design you just can't get around the fact that those nacelles are in the way of any kind of phaser art uh, unless you've got you know a very tall ship and you can you know kind of shoot around it the nacelles but typically they're not that tall
1: yeah maybe some of the 20 or 31st century ones from discovery might be able to shoot around their nacelles with their moving nacelle pieces and such but yeah for most typical star trek ships that seems like a
0: strong limitation well now they can just right. detach them and put them over there like, yeah. just put them all the way over there so that we can cover mm-hmm. all of our our blind spots. Well, no, that probably wouldn't be the best idea because then they could get. Well, no, yeah, even if they were targeted, they're further away. You could uh, protect them that way. But, um, you know, I, I digress. I If you get me out in the weeds, there's no coming back basically <laughs> oh so here's one for you then
1: mm-hmm. just to pull us back from the brink with big j uh, <laughs> so the sagan class right designed not by yourself but it's one that you you i'm sure have looked at right and you know that in mm-hmm. the third season they had the echelon class which essentially sheared off the bottom two nacelles and made it a tuna cell variant right mm-hmm. what do you think about the kit bashing culture that still continues in Trek? is that something that you enjoy seeing because personally i love it i love it when they take like parts of an old design and reuse them in something new kind of thing
2: yeah, that's just the economy of uh of visual effects and the reason that became the echelon became a two-engine ship was because each effects house has their own models of ships they can use for the show and if they're tasked to to, to uh, use a ship in the show they gotta look what they have in in their inventory and they got well we've got the assets for the sagan we got assets for this ship and that ship what can we do to make another ship because to build a visual effect ship is like Twenty, thirty thousand dollars 30000 And they don't have the kind of money. So they simply just snapped up two inches off the Sagan. Boom, you got an echelon. And that's how that became the echelon. Um, I'm sure Not Starfleet was the same way.
1: Yeah. yeah. Not all that different from the TNG era when they had to come up with the graveyard fleet for Wolf 359, right? It was like, right. go buy some, some model kits from the store and we'll put them together and right. blowtorch them. So, yeah.
2: Yeah. Whether it's digital or, or a physical model, it's just still... The asset costs money, and everything's about money in Hollywood. So, that's what you have on hand, what you can use right away, without having to go back and design something, because that takes a lot of work and manpower. You have to design a ship, you know, build it, light it, texture it, animate all that stuff. It takes way too much time.
1: Yeah, and they have to make some variety to them, or you end up with the fleet from the end of Picard season one, which was endlessly lambasted by the internet and fans. It looked right. bad,
2: and they they didn't want to do that.
1: Right. So are there any times where you've had, like, a scene where you wish that they had had more variety, other than the aforementioned Picard ending? Like, anything that you've seen in recent Trek where you're like, it doesn't make sense for that to be another ship of the same class? That kind of thing.
2: Well, I think it really was the, uh, the original series, and the fact that they always used the same model um, mm-hmm. over and over again for every ship. Um and I always wanted to see other ships, which is why I got into model making at all. Was because I wanted to build a star fleet of variety, and not same, not the same Constitution over and over and over again. Was just a different number. And I wanted to see if the if the, heavy, if the uh, Enterprise was a heavy cruiser, I wanted to see medium cruisers, light cruisers, regular cruisers, destroyers, scouts. You know, the rest of the fleet and their crews, and not the same, you know, Constitution over and over and over again.
1: I would have loved to have seen your version then of the Ultimate Computer, right? that's yeah. the episode where i think it's most blatant that oh they only have the one model don't they
2: so. <laughs> well if you see the i i rebuilt or i, I redesigned the hood and the excalibur from that episode uh, for for clients uh as slightly reimagined if, as if they've been refitted after that event uh and the damage they had uh, incurred from that encounter so you'll see slightly different versions of the constitution prior to the motion picture refit with the kind of like a blend of the TMP and TOS stuff. So if you have a chance to look at uh, things I posted on the hood in Excalibur, uh, you can my, my and Excalibur, absolutely, my takes. Find them. Yes. But actually, my header on Facebook is the Excalibur. If you want to look on that real quick, but absolutely.
0: I want to talk about that real quick the ending of Picard season one. And it's it, there are a lot of different ship classes bill that you have worked on you like having that variety all the all the different looks and designs for me personally and i think i'm in the minority i saw the point i get the point of the end of picard season one and i'm not against it i think that it's a good idea and the reason i think that um it was it's probably more efficient to have a couple classes of, of ships and that's it. You, you're you designing a bulk of one or two or three and that's it. And the reason I think that that's a good idea is because let's just say that you have a crew that has found themselves unexpectedly on, on another ship. They had to get beamed over in some emergency. It's in the middle of a battle, whatever it is. If you only have a couple different classes, then you can jump right in. You know where things are. You know what the buttons do. You have the layout, all of that. It's kind of like if you go from car to car to car and it's the same make and model, then that's easy. As soon as you jump into another one, I don't know about you, but I have a hard time finding the windshield wipers and some of the other things. And I think in, in some situations you you don't have time. You won't have time to find these different things. And for me, and I, I know I'm in the minority on this. I think there are too many classes of ships. I think Starfleet uh, had gotten to a point where they were just having fun with it. Like let's let's just do as many different things and variations as we can. And in your work, do you do you ever feel like? Yes, maybe they are getting. Maybe we are getting too much into all these different and various looks. When it may be more efficient as a military at that time to have just few classes.
2: I mean, it's it's up to uh, the producer and what they feel Starfleet should be focused on, and and like what you're saying is makes perfect sense. That you know, it makes sense to have a, a fleet of. All the same ship uh, in terms of production and, and and familiarity with the function of the ship and operation. Um, as a starship designer, uh, I say no. I mean, I want to create uh, something new all the time. And I think with the creativity of just myself and other people, we like to imagine our own versions of ships and uh, and our our own universe and. To, to build the same thing over and, over and over again, saying, OK, this is what the ship's going to look like from now and forever. Never change it. And like the designer is like, no, <laughs> I want to see something else. Uh, that's why you don't have everyone not driving the exact same car. Uh, everyone wants, wants to have their own personal take on what they look like in, in their car and their vehicle and they drive and all that stuff. But um, but yeah, as, as time goes on, the technology evolves and changes. So there's always going to be an evolution of Starship. It's not going to be the same ship, just refitted over and over and over again every two weeks, every year or whatever it is. Um, And each ship perhaps has some sort of specialized role. I mean, a lot of ships uh, you can look at as being a multi-mission, and they just do everything. It's basically it's a starship that takes you from point A to point B with people on board. Either you're helping some uh, uh, humanitarian mission in deep space or or exploring strange new worlds or you're in a battle against uh, some sort of domestic terrorist or whatever. Um, these ships have to really do everything all the time. There really isn't like a dedicated battleship or a dedicated explorer ship. These ships do everything all the time, depending on what they're tasked to do at that specific time, because they're all going to have weapons. They're all going to have a shovel bay. They're all going to have warp engines. So they're all pretty much going to do the same thing. Um, it's just how they look like. I mean, as again, like a designer, I like, I like to see try this, try this, try something new. Um, doesn't mean the insides don't have to all to be the same. I mean, they're all going to have the same kind of uh, winter wiper button and phaser button. So that I think, functionality is going to probably be the same within the ship. You know, they're going to have the same transporter pads and medical bays and command chairs and all that kind of stuff. But the outside of the ship can be really whatever the sky's the limit. I mean, I think in uh, like a modern or a, not modern, but a futurist view of uh, technology and being able to print on demand whatever you think of uh just press a button there's you can basically just materialize out of raw matter whatever it is you're thinking of whatever designer yeah, has in mind boom there it is you know, this, you're not welding beams together and you know uh bolting on plates basically it's a, a gigantic computer printer just prints this machine that prints prints out a starship on demand wherever you want it or dematerialize it back in the raw matter and start over again uh, you do that on board the ship for for food and clothing and everything else but on a much larger scale you can probably produce ships in the same fashion Was probably why they have seen a, a, it
1: in, on the protostar like in prodigy we at least saw the printing of shuttles and uh landing crafts and such so i mean the underpinnings for that's definitely there
0: mm-hmm, for but sure no
1: Big J, just another couple of points for you.
0: I'm a little nervous because yeah, <laughs> I because saw that look in your face, like Big J's about to get dunked typing. on. I started typing. God <laughs> no. Oh, what did so I do? one
1: one cross training, right? Like this is something the real military does. If you're if you're an, a weapons officer on like an Arleigh Burke destroyer, you're going to know how to fire things on a Ticonderoga because the software systems, while they might be slightly different versions, are still interoperable. So you're going to be able to do things, which is exactly what Bill was saying. The insides that matter are still going to be interoperable, right? So. Mm-hmm. That part, I think, is pretty big. The second one, though, is you're talking about, like, if you had, like, a crew that got beamed over in an emergency to a ship, they can't help because they don't know where things are. That's fair, but these are adults that are competent. They should be able to look up a diagram and see where can I go help, if they're even needed to help, right? Right. Because you don't want two chief engineers in engineering yelling out contradictory orders. Only one of them is actually the chief engineer of the ship. If you're on an emergency situation like that, your best bet may just be to get out of the way and let the actual crew do their job, right? yes yeah i think the best point though is one that bill already made which is the specialized needs of ships Mm -hmm. and oberth class is a very different mission profile than the galaxy class so they have to be different you're going to leave an oberth class studying a star for a couple couple months and that's just what they're doing crew of like 60 whatever leave them alone that's what they're doing you're not going to waste the time of galaxy class doing that so you can't just have galaxy classes
0: and you can't just have oberths you've got to have variety True, but we saw an Oberth class get one shot murked in in a movie, which is like, you know. You know, emergencies happen. Yeah, (laughs) emergencies. Polite way of saying shit happens. Yeah, I mean,
1: (laughs) here's another one for you, though. Weaknesses. Yeah. Remember during the Dominion War when the Breen entered the situation and yep. every ship in Starfleet's shields became useless and the ships were all getting disabled and such? Yep. Remember how one Klingon bird of prey got lucky that they'd done some unstandard modification to their shield and it survived everything else? Mm-hmm. Same thing. If you make every ship identical and they all have the same parts and the same designs and the same settings, you are more likely to get caught like that. Variety breeds resiliency. Okay.
0: You know, okay having you're specialized
1: right. in different ships like that just gives you better shots at not getting owned that way
0: right so, that's a good then point last, yeah. yeah and then the
1: last one is just tech advances which bill also mentioned too it was just like the the explorer or sorry the excelsior class was the premier like heavy battle cruiser of its time the klingons mm-hmm. are terrified of it during undiscovered a country right but by the time of next gen it's an 80 year old design it's it's kind of just there to transport around admirals and other dignitaries right Yep. But it's still useful. It's still big. It's still got crew. It's still got equipment. So it's going to move down in its necessity, but it's going to still be there. You're not just going to throw them out.
0: They had a bunch of those in the Dominion War. Yeah, they were pulling everything out for that. Uh, so you make a good point. You're right. I think there's there can be something said about the simplicity, but also you could leave yourself open to uh, you've, got, you've got an entire fleet of one or two class of ship and they all have the same flaw well not so much flaw but they all have that vulnerability like the brain exploited now what the you bird do? of prey from
1: generations remember the one that we all hate the one that had that d- flaw in its cloaking device the yeah yep. magnetic coil or some shit, right yeah that was a flaw that got exploited Defective plasma all, coil yeah that's what it was yeah they all had the same flaw so they all got retired right mm-hmm. If you had all of your ships it's the same thing you can't just retire your whole fleet at once so you've got to have variety
0: that's good point. Yeah. See, I like hearing from Renzo. I really do. It's a treat because everything you say makes sense. I try. <laughs> and I'm sorry for being so long winded, Bill. This is more about you than me. I just
1: wanted to no, get no, 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 no. Listen, there's some response to Big Jay's beef here. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's totally fine. I'm not the, the best at explaining things or explaining my own ideas, but, uh, you know, I try.
0: Do you have anything that you're working on now that you're aware of that may be used in something that's that's upcoming?
2: No, the, as you know, the strike going on, there's nothing in production right, uh, right now. And oh, I don't, I don't even it.
0: think you could talk about anything that you might be working on because of the Probably strike? Probably not. Um,
2: yeah. Yeah, I'm not working on anything uh, for the future. Uh, nothing that they've contacted you to, to do. Um, um,
0: in your free yeah, time, do you just I, like keep sharp by just uh, what free time crafting, drafting <laughs> uh, true, right? Admissions yeah, to me.
2: But, <laughs> yeah. I, my, my job working on uh, starships is 24 uh, seven. I am in the shop every day or at the computer, uh, making posters or compositions for whatever. I'm like, like calendar is coming up again for 2025. Um, uh, and then these posts I've been doing, I really just did them for uh, my convention appearances, which I've been doing now recently. And they asked me to bring something along with me so I can sign. So I started producing these uh, posters. And uh, so I took them to a few conventions and uh, I had some extra. So I brought them back home and I, I put them up for sale on, on, on Twitter and other social media sites. And they're just going like crazy. So I have had to reorder four times. I just wanted to get rid of my stock. But now I've been selling these things like yeah you got one of the original the, no way I've, I've got quite a lot of them actually was that your friend who was at uh oh wow the uh station unity in dc yeah,
1: yeah that no? was okay. alex
2: my boyfriend he was the one who um was for
1: my birthday and he just got me like a whole stack of these and these are well wow, i'm got, gonna get them framed oh
2: wow one of everything mm-hmm. uh, that is unbelievable there's like, there's like four new ones too i've just come out with oh that's exciting
1: I'll have to keep an yeah. eye for when you, if you come back. I was just working that day. I wanted to go myself, but I was I was just trapped. Ah. Yeah, I love these posters. They're lovely. I'm gonna get them framed and put up, probably alongside that one too. Um, Very cool. Mm-hmm. As far as as far as you know, is there any sort of like taboo subject when it comes to the building of ships for like the community? Because that's always something I've wondered. Like I've not seen some some kinds of designs that i would have expected right like i've never seen like a patrol boat equivalent right
2: like no no taboo meeting like uh just
1: something that designers just don't bother to produce yeah something that designers just don't bother to produce for like fan producers don't bother to touch when it comes to making ships for trek like if you look at like the video games we'll always see like an artillery ship or we'll see like a scout ship but we don't really see like some of the more niche things like a q ship right from the world war one and two era something that's stealthy but starfleet but when you attack it oh it kicks your butt that kind of thing just some designs mm-hmm. that are just lacking i've always wondered if there's like a taboo against it
2: not that i know i mean i, I try to uh work both ends of the spectrum by making something small like i've done a shuttlecraft and i've done a, a scout ship and like a crew of 11 and something as big as the endurance which is my biggest ship so and everything in, in between so i'm trying to fill in as much as i can before moving on to a Like doing Romulan, which I've never done, or Klingon, because I've been so focused on Starfleet and Star Trek, Starfleet vessels that uh, I haven't even touched any of the, you know, other races. Would that be overkill? Do you think that'd be too much
0: to jump into doing Romulan or Klingon or other uh, uh, fleets ships, other Empire ships? overkill for me or for 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 you like because you spend all of this time you have all this time and expertise put in towards the starfleet ships do you feel that you've you've you're at that point where it's kind of this is where i'm at this is the silo i'm in it's too late for me to try to design anything non-starfleet
2: yeah i think i've run into that that wall where it's like i think i've done uh, all the ideas that I think I wanted to do, at least for that, the, the two areas that I've been working mostly in the TOS and TMP, or maybe I just work in, like, this backing up and going back to uh, TOS, but from a Romulan or Klingon perspective and just filling out those fleets, like we've already overseen, like, the Klingon D7. Um, I know there are other Klingon ships, and I don't know a lot about them, but kind of filling in some of those blanks, too. Uh, and even the Romulan ships of the motion picture era we've never seen. So um, those are things that, you know, that want to build the ships that are in those places where people haven't looked a lot and try to imagine something that, that might be there. Uh, this is using bookends like, a, you know, a, a whatever the last roundmanship we've seen from TNG and the last one we've seen in TOS. And I think there's really nothing in between. So uh, there's a lot of, a lot of playing room there too
1: yeah, I think that actually brings up one of the things that bugged me most about, at least in the new era of Trek designs. So the Klingons in discovery, the first two seasons, right their their physical appearance you can explain away with genetic engineering, and that can be something that takes doesn't that takes no time at all. We've seen that in enterprise and such. But the mm-hmm. design lineages and the changes on the appearances of their ships, that's not something that can just be changed overnight in that era or basically ever right like design languages that we saw in enterprise made sense when continued into tng and past but the Mm -hmm. discovery anomaly there were just so weird what did you think about all that
2: yeah it's just like one of those oblips in the timelines. like what what universe are we really in and this doesn't match up either end to what we know in an established universe so we have to basically just assume it's another multi universe kind of thing and just let it go at that and not try to fit it in and uh so you either continue doing that same thing and with your look, or if you're a fan designer and trying to incorporate that or try to explain that in some way, or to the, you know, blending that in with what's been established or ignore it completely and just go your own way with it. So, I mean, there's just, there's just so much out there to play with uh, to try to fit it all together. You go crazy. If you have that kind of OCD where you gotta make everything fit, uh, you'll just drive yourself crazy. Uh or if you just be more selective about what you do like, and then perpetuate that kind of fondness into your own your own art, because it Star to it inspire you, and like it inspires me, to create, whether it be artwork fiction, your own science fiction, uh it's just it's just there's so much there to just springboard off of you shouldn't just dwell on trying to fix it all so it fits your vision of what star trek is because it, in everyone's head star trek is completely different and may not fit your vision of it so um i never try to make things fit I, I try to make them fit in my head i don't expect people to like it or you know fit their like of star trek so um, all you can do is just you know, take what you like from star trek ball all up and <laughs> roll out your own ball of it and hopefully someone else will enjoy it and inspire them to do things. So,
1: well, I, I think that's what the producers of Discovery Season like 2 actually ended up settling on because they went back to that classic D7 arrangement of ships and that's what we've seen in Strange New Worlds now as well. Like We haven't seen any more of the crazy insectile looking Klingon ships from the first season. They've just kind of mm-hmm. been phased out, which is probably for the best.
0: I think they yeah. it looked like they just went out of their way to be different. We just want to do whatever we can to be different. And in regards to the ships, I could have—I didn't have a problem with it until they—they named off one of those those new ships the same class as what we damn well know is not anything close to what it looks like. The D Seven. And in regards to the look of the Klingons, I like talking about this because this is something that will be a part of Star Trek and discussions forever. I personally don't see the problem with the Klingons in season 1 of Discovery. Here's why I say that. And I had an interview with another gentleman about this the other day and they did not if they would have had Worf or any anyone already established in season 1 of Discovery and then say this is this is who they are. That's it. I could not have gone with you on that. Could not have followed that. But as humans, as a race, we have so many different looks and variations of us. Just with you've got North Americans, South Americans, Asians, African, all a, a plethora of, we are certainly not a homogenous looking, yeah. right? We're not a monoculture. Mono Why is it, and I know this is completely off the subject of starships, but I want to get your guys' opinion on this. Why do people have such a problem with the Klingons when they know that there there are members of Earth, humans, that the same argument could be made? That, let's say you spend a majority of your time looking at humans that look like me. And then suddenly you've got humans that look like Renzo. All right. That's readily accepted. Like, yeah, of course, duh. But we somehow cannot accept that the Klingons could have just as wild variants of looks as we do. We have that. It's okay. We know that. We acknowledge that. But when it comes to the Klingons, like, oh, no, 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 no. We can't do that. Mm -hmm.
1: I think the biggest objection the fandom has is the fact that we got an explanation for why the tos klingons did not look like the tmp and on klingons we got that in the form of an enterprise little storyline that talked about genetic engineering and that explained why they looked more humanish right and that was a decent explanation that like gave us verisimilitude there right but the change that was done for the discovery ones hasn't just been like we're seeing multiple types of klingons no it's we're only seeing the new kind if in the scenes that they had done for the first season of Disco, they had used a mixture of the TOS-era-looking Klingons and of the Enterprise-looking Klingons, I think that would have gone over really well, in fact. right, But they didn't do that. They instead went with a third new variety, which I happen to be with most people on this one that I don't think they looked very Klingon. And it wasn't just their facial appearance, it was also their armor, their accoutrements, their ships, their gear, everything just looked like it was a new race. Mm -hmm. They could have waved that away by explaining it as being like, oh, these are just Klingons that come from a specific religious sect that we're seeing. But then they brought in the whole Klingon like High Council in a scene, and they all look the same, right? Oh, yeah. They specifically Mm -hmm. made it look like this was the only kind of Klingon of that era. And that's kind of problematic because it doesn't make sense that they have never been registered as looking like Klingons like that before or after. So I think what you said before is true with regards to the Klingon fleet as it was for the Klingon people in this. They just wanted to look different. You can see the design elements that they brought in. this could look like things from H.R. Geiger all over. There's like skeletal patterns and building on things. They look straight out of Alien. Looks awesome. Mm-hmm. Doesn't look Klingon, right? I think is what I would say. Trekkies are stubborn. We don't like change. We don't like things to change what we already knew. That's a well-established thing, right? Like people complain about the Romulan, Prane, Picard looking updated because it didn't look just like the smooth plastic one from the 1960s (laughs) okay it's the same ship it's very clearly the same ship, just a little bit more detailed it's just a better model calm your tits right but yeah it was a budget kind of approach people had yeah that's not the approach people had And I don't think it's a budget thing to say that the TNG era Klingons updated to look like the discovery era Klingons just based on budget. That one doesn't make sense to me. Same thing for the Andorians and enterprise. We got these fully animatronic antennas on Shran that were fantastic. Shran was one of the best characters on the show, but when we see the Andorians in discovery and in strange new worlds, their antennae are strangely stiff and non emotion, not, not emotive. Right. So like Mm -hmm. they may look cooler, but they don't necessarily perform better. Like we had the same problem with the Klingon actors. Their mouths were so mushed by all the prosthetics and the teeth that it was harder to follow them, even if you spoke Klingon, right? So I think it really was just a drive to look different, at least in my opinion. And I think that that bit them in the butt. And that's why they've backed out of basically all the changes that they made to the Klingons. The Klingons in that Strange New Worlds now are looking a lot more like Worf than they are like like Lorel, right? Same thing for their armor and their ships and their guns. All of it.
0: You're right about that the Klingon High Council scene in the series premiere of Discovery. They had a chance, an opportunity right there to where everyone would have just been like, okay, yeah, cool. It's these are the I don't know, these are the African Klingons, and the ones we'd always seen before were the American Klingons. Whatever I don't comparison quite like that phrasing made. for it, but I, I get what you're I, at. Yeah, at. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that could have been the Russian Klingons. I, I don't know. I'm sure. I'm not good at analogy or anything, but you, you get what I'm saying. I do, I do, I do. I do. Uh, they had a chance to show that council with the different ones, but they tried to pass it off as, oh, no, no, this this is actually... This is Klingon. Yes, which couldn't fly with that. And right. I think, I wonder if part of it is because... The whole uh the whole plot with with ash tyler and and valk that the makeup had to be so drastically different that you could not tell that they were the same actor for example michael dorn you can recognize him in and out of the makeup as as wharf um and but some Hulk of the other- and ash tyler is a little bit harder yeah i see your point yeah they, but like i said
1: they could have just gone with this explanation of like these are the klingons that are of an ancient breed or an ancient sect that the Herc genetically manipulated to be better laborers. And that's why they have this sarcophagus ship that looks like nothing else we've seen. Mm -hmm. But then when they decided to make it so that all Klingons look like them and all the ships are these new designs, that's where I think they overstepped. But I I really wanna hear what Bill thinks about this whole thing, because it looked like he was nodding along a bit.
2: Well, yeah, I think they changed everything in in Discovery, Uh, not just the Klingons, but uh, I know uh, even for the the Federation of Starships, designed the edict uh, from Brian Fuller when he first uh, began the show as the showrunner was he did not want round nacelles. No reason given just that he didn't want round nacelles. So basically they put uh, round pegs at the end of a square tube. uh, And that's why all the engines and all the ships, federal ships are square was because he did not want round engines Mm -hmm. and they don't match anything prior to or after that. Uh, They just kind of forget that, design aesthetic ever happened. Now it suddenly Enterprise flies in with Round of Cells and it's been Round of Cells ever since in Stranger Worlds. And you never see a score engine ship again, except in Discovery. Or if you go back to an old Discovery episode. But um even like uniforms all all of the stuff aboard ship was I think designed specifically to be different. Uh that was just yeah. the way that the production uh was designed and uh told to do, uh, not meant to fit our versions of canon and Star Trek. We can try to make it fit as best we can, but it's really all about art direction and what someone else wants to reimagine Star Trek to look like for their TV show
1: i think that the star trek online team actually managed to do a pretty good job of trying to add them back into canon right they talked about how like designs of this era were working off a slightly different propulsion model than the others that's why all the nacelles look different why they're so long like they wrote up this whole blog post why when they were bringing these ships into the game to explain that discontinuity I thought they did a pretty good job they mostly came from one design house out of like beta eridani or something i don't remember but like they tried to make it work and when it comes to like The ship's nacelles all looking weird and the fact that their hull plating doesn't match with TOS era stuff at all. Like, I can see the the logic behind it just being a different design house came up with most of the designs and that's what perpetuated during that era. I can follow that because they still look mostly Starfleet. The Hoover class, all those designs, they can still be pretty interpreted as Starfleet. It's harder with the Klingon ones. They just looked. They were the Fords, not Chevrolets. No, it's more like comparing like an F1 race car to like your cousin's beat up pickup truck. That's kind of the difference there for the Klingons. Like you, you just wouldn't assume they're the same thing. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Oh, Bill, I just wanted to ask you as we wrap up here, uh, are there any social media links, projects, things that you want to just talk about to promote or advertise about that you're working on right now that you w- would like our audience to hear?
2: Well, I, I post uh, on my Instagram account, which is, I think, uh, Admiral Buck. Uh, Twitter is Buck Admiral. And my Facebook is just Bill Krause at, at, at Facebook. And I, I post uh, projects that I, I'm currently in progress of working on. And uh, I'm building another uh, Enterprise G for a client. He asked me to build him one uh, to get ahead of the line. I have basically an 18-month wait list of people uh, who have commissioned me to build them their projects for and i have to close my commission because i just have so many that i simply just cannot you know maintain that list but uh i'll be posting some work of that enterprise g putting together again the posters which i uh, it runs a showed but uh, i've got some more of those coming up for sale this week i'll be posting those up for uh, availability on those three websites um that's about it i guess the tornado will be coming out uh uh, later this year, as well as a uh, a large uh, radiant, uh, which will also be lit for another client, and those are my two fall projects. Following the Enterprise G,
1: I look forward to seeing them myself. They, they, your work is always super impressive. So,
2: thank you, and thank you Happy for
0: thank you for being on here with us. We really appreciate the time that you took, and we'll I appreciate you, the uh, invitation. Absolutely, we'll let you go so you can enjoy the rest of the evening and. Anything we can ever do for you to help you out and help you promote anything or bring attention to anything, just let us know. And we're there to help. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can support us at Patreon.com slash Beyond We are Beyond Trek Podcast. Lower your inhibitions and surrender your years. We will add inspirational and hilarious trip content to your day. Your attention will adapt to subscribe to us. Resistance is futile.